Hi, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Leslie Mallon, and I head Lion Trees Public Markets Business. Thank you for taking the time to join us today for our next Lion Tree Live virtual discussion. I would like to start by welcoming our CEO, Arie Burkhoff, who will make some opening remarks. Thank you, Leslie, and hi, everyone. This is Arie. Welcome to our latest Lion Tree Live session. We're thrilled to be hosting with us today Guru Garapan of Verizon Media. Guru, thank you so much for joining us. As a quick background, Guru oversees a franchise of best-in-class brands, including TechCrunch, HuffPost, Yahoo, the former AOL, where Lion Tree acted as financial advisor to Verizon, both these transactions, and many more that reach almost 900 million people across the globe. There's so much uncertainty and activity right now. It's another big day for the industry with the big four, Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple, on the Hill this afternoon. Obviously, the testimonies of these CEOs touches on many of Verizon Media's activities, including the changing ad market, the e-commerce, net neutrality, and content censorship. And now I'll turn it back to you, Leslie, to begin our program where you'll, I'm sure, cover all this and more. Thank you all very much. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, Ari. Thank you for that intro. We've been hosting these Lion Tree Live sessions and key areas and themes in the sector that are all evolving and transforming in different ways. But this is the first time that we're taking a deeper dive on a company's specific basis. Verizon Media is a large media property with brands that we all know, um, as Aria had mentioned. But the company flies a little bit under the radar as part of a larger company focused on wireless connectivity. So we wanted to get a bit more under the hood with the company and also discuss sector themes as well. As a quick snapshot on Verizon Media, you know, it's a division of Verizon Communication. It focuses on media and online businesses. It was created from the acquisitions of AOL in 2015 and Yahoo in 2017 as noted, you know, has a full spectrum of beloved, well-known brands and reaches nearly 1 billion people worldwide. Also, the company offers an end-to-end ad tech stack uh, connecting advertisers and publishers across the online ad ecosystem. And in 2019, the business generated roughly $8 billion in revenue. So, Guru, we are really excited to have you here with us today. Look forward to our discussion. So, with that, Let's get started. I thought we could talk about the current operating environment as it would seem a bit remiss not to given that we're in the middle of you know, an unprecedented crisis. We all know the pandemic has hit the media and advertising sector especially hard and it was reflected in earnings results for you as well as many other companies you know, last week and this week. In what ways, if any, have you strategically shifted your priorities and direction now to be better positioned for coming out of the pandemic and beyond. Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks, uh, Leslie, for having me here. I hope uh, all of you, your teams and Ari and everybody is staying safe. I know it's crazy times, but we are in new normal. I think, look, the first baseline, I would say, when you think about how we are setting ourselves, um, if you take a look into last four or five months, what's been happening, and I think you go into Q3, 
One, I would say, is the recovery is in progress, right? Some industries haven't been impacted as much, fortunately. Uh, in fact, when you think about uh, CPG uh, buying, at least in the ad market, you know, has soared even consumer behavior that is powered by a lot of different things that we're all using on a daily basis. And there are communities that are reopening globally. So there are strategic areas there when you think about categories like financial services, telco, entertainment. So those definitely you're seeing good progress happening there. When you think about our core business, our business model is three big areas, right? One is the ad platforms, and we uh, now are into the subscription business. And then we have, of course, the transactions and commerce business. So all of this has led to, look, the ad market will grow. I mean, you've seen during all this time frame, digital advertising generally comes out stronger. Even if you think about the last downturn, there was quite a bit of positive tailwind that came out of it, programmatic advertising became really massive when you think about the financial crisis that happened 2008, 2009, and then what happened. I think here, digital generally ends up winning over time. Of course, it maps to the economy. So you're going to see there's a category, you know, there's going to be growth as you come into 2021 and as it progresses. The second big strategic piece, and we started this almost two years back when I joined, was on the commerce side. One of the things I've said, we, are, we were more, call it the traditional media company in terms of what we did online and an aggregator and brought content in. And my view was always that, hey, we were in the inspiration creation business, but we never closed the loop. We didn't take a lot of that part of the ecosystem in terms of economics. We were in the beginning part of that phase, but then eventually you think about travel companies or uh, the commerce companies or any of them making a bigger chunk of the dollar. So we've definitely gone deeper into commerce. So that's the other area I would say. It's a massive area and we have our owned and operated business when you think about it. So commerce for sure in terms of strategically fits in. And then the third one I would say comes back to how traditional media has shifted. And I think, you know, we talked about briefly at the Hill, what's going on around privacy and all the uh, regulatory issues. The big shift there has happened from social to trusted content. So our focus has been, if you remember last year, we exited Tumblr. And one of the reasons, you know, my call there was, look, we are not in the UGC and social content. It's hard to moderate those things and it's hard to build trust around those content. So we've definitely gone down the journey of building a bigger trusted content ecosystem. And then, you know, the third piece I would call out, which ties to the first one around commerce about closing the loop. We have gone much deeper from content into transactions. So sports betting is a great example. In the new world, as more states gets legalized, not just sports, a lot of these transactional behaviors will continue to scale. Gotcha. We'll touch on some of those uh, new vertical extensions as we go along. As you said, the environment is starting to improve, right? The cadence has, mm-hmm. has gotten a bit better. You know, when you think about that continued trajectory, in aggregate, would you expect industry ad spending in 2021 to be ahead of 2019 levels? How are you foreseeing that the cadence of ad dollars flowing back into the space will happen and, and at what magnitude? Sure. I mean, we are evaluating right now multiple scenarios that are largely depend on speed of economic recovery at a foundation level. One aspect that is common across scenarios is the acceleration of shifts from traditional to more digital and omni-channel media. And this is something that has already been observed, as I mentioned, in the previous crisis. So regardless of the landing point, what I would say is we would expect the digital to land higher than where it would have been otherwise, relatively speaking, and a lot of these omni-channels coming in. So I do feel much better when you think about 2021. 
also in Q2, Verizon Media Group continued to see increased customer engagement across all owned and operated properties. You know, monthly active users, I think, were up about 4% year over year, and it was even more dramatic at Yahoo Finance and news on yeah. you know, those platforms. Do you expect this increased engagement to be sustained? And if so, why? You know, or will there be a bit of a reset more towards you know, more normal historical levels? I will talk more from a broadly market perspective that you have seen, let's talk about customer behavior. What's happened in this last, call it five months, people would have never shopped online, would have never gone and checked news or done finance or whatever you call it online. It's been forced on many of these customers to change their behavior overnight. Some of them may go back to the older ways, if, if you will, but the market has expanded in terms of digital. So in many ways, I would say it will sustain and in the new normal in terms of media consumption. Q1, of course, we saw a massive spike. And then Q2, I think it started normalizing. And the reality is you think about the biggest spike was coronavirus content, right? A lot of information around COVID. And that really gave us a good spike when you think about news and overall what Yahoo and AOL had in terms of content. And that's not going away. When you think about the life of coronavirus now, when the vaccine comes in, even that's going to take time, people getting comfortable. So I would say it's going to be part of new reality. So I do think content consumption and then trusted world will stay the same or get better. As a result, though, the demand for, as I said, the trusted content is only going up because there's a lot more fake news as well as you know. So it helps us in terms of building that engagement. So we will continue to see at a broader level, you think about MAUs and daily active user base, a good steady state, at least progress. And then also category-wise, I think Yahoo Finance and News, we talked about that in our 2-2 earnings. So one of the highest growths, you know, it's seen actually Q1, Q2, both on the revenue side and on the audience side, which is not normal. If you think about most companies' earnings, a lot of the sub-segment level, they've either increased their audience, but the revenues have gone down because they're not able to monetize at the same level. Or at least in a couple of these properties, that's not been the same case. And the other thing we've done, I would say, is we've also added more engagement layers. Like it's no longer just about you coming and consuming content. As I mentioned, transaction as a life cycle is an important part. Remember also in news, you got 2020 election coming up at least in the U.S. So that's going to add a new cycle of media consumption we're seeing and will play a big role in that. So I would say overall, the market has expanded. That's number one. Two, there will be certain behaviors that will remain. There will be some that will go down, but I think overall it will be in the positive side. Another aspect on the macro side is regulation, which you somewhat touched on. And you know, as Arya mentioned, the, the tech hearings you know, are actually happening as we speak here. And we did have an audience question along these lines as well. But uh, if you could expand a little bit more about your views on, on how regulation you know, could play out for the industry and you know, as it relates to privacy, content safety, which you did mention, national security, antitrust you know, what role Verizon could play as part of that? We are in the business of being transparent with our users and empowering them with meaningful controls over their data. And all of our users have control over what we can and cannot do with their data. So that's something we've been very proactive, even, you know, before a lot of the regulations came in. And our privacy dashboard, that's something we've gone deeper, provides granular settings again for user data and personalized advertising. Users can download all those targeting segments, what's happening and what they're included in control. So first and foremost, we've done a lot around being customer-centric and user-centric to give the consumers that control. That's one. 
Two is around content. I think there is a lot around fake news and all of that, which is why even last year we shifted to saying we won't do any more UGC. We actually shut down commenting more recently because there was a lot of a non-trusted content. There was a lot of hate speech that was going into it as well. So we really focused it on to trusted sources. Of course, 90% of our content comes from third parties, from New York Times to you name it, the best publications out there. So we really focus on bringing the trusted content. And I think the last piece I would say, when you think about antitrust, the comment I would tell whatever the regulators and the government, when you think about policies, they have to keep in mind about the medium to smaller players. Many times you think about GDPR, you think about CCPA, a lot of these things that come in, in many ways, it makes wall gardens more stronger. It doesn't make them weaker. And I know there is a lot of talk about how you break it and how you bring antitrust, but so far, none of them have impacted any of them neg- negatively. You think about any of those companies, actually, they gain more market share in any form of regulation that's happened. And who's got impacted negatively is the smaller, you talk to startups, the mid-tier. For us, Verizon-wide, we've always been core on privacy. You think about Verizon as a network. Privacy is like a core of what we do. Trust and innovation is what we call as two key pillars, and privacy is anchored straight into trust. We have to do that. And that's what we've shifted, like in the new world. If you talk about previous Yahoo and AOL, it was history. And when we put it together as Verizon Media, really centered around that, and same around content. So I would say we are definitely leading by doing the right thing and setting the example. But I do know a lot of smaller players who are getting impacted, and I'm hoping whatever the process is, it comes out more fair. Let's talk about the structure of Verizon. And one of the debates that's been around um, is, you know, what are the real synergies between owning both wireless and uh, media assets? How would you address that debate? And, you know, can you talk through some tangible ways in which you've seen one plus one equals three, right? You launched Yahoo Mobile in March. Would that be a good example, Mm -hmm. uh, sort of showcasing the synergies? What has the early reaction been? Sure. Um, I know I've packed a lot into that question, but if you could uh, could address that. Yeah. At the baseline, what I would say, Leslie, is I think the debate is going to continue regardless of the validation and proof points that I think Hans has talked about. I've talked about a lot over the years now. So I won't spend much time about the debate at all, but let me walk through. I think you called out a proof point. What I would say across our ecosystem, Verizon Media, you know, you mentioned earlier, on we touch 900 million monthly active users when you think global scale that is massive for Verizon there is a significant potential to tap into that ecosystem when you think about synergy you mentioned Yahoo Mobile there was first time ever that we of course leveraged Verizon's 4G platform network and then we're adding our distribution layer on top of it the things that that was just phase one where we are going with that uh, here for this audience we are going very niche fan-based mobile plans, right? When you think about a finance-centric user, we are working through that right now where you might have plans or phone along with Yahoo ecosystem that's for you who is a hyper-finance user or it could be a sports and sports betting user. So you can imagine that's how we are thinking. So there's a lot of synergy, not just at the network level, but use cases. And then I think you asked about in terms of uh, when you look at Yahoo Mobile, and it's been a good success, by the way. It's been a few months now since we launched. Mm-hmm. It's ma- mainly targeting the value segment priced at $39.99, runs on Verizon 4G LTE. It's doing well. Now, as you think about more use cases, we are doing quite a bit on sports as an example. Verizon, as you know, we work with NFL uh, very closely with actually most of the leagues. 
what it does is it brings Yahoo Sports. I do have Sports a lot of questions on that for you as well. So oh, okay. <laughs> we'll probably talk about that in a bit. But if you think about, again, with NFL, Yahoo Sports, Verizon at the center, again, we are bringing a lot of those products together and co-promoting and going to our consumers with more value. If you think about Verizon's core, our core strategy is network as a service, and then you have layers on top, which are these use cases. And what Verizon Media brings in is some of those core use cases. Let that be on finance. Let that be on the sports side. Now, the other piece I would add, now on the B2B side, the advertising business, one of the big things that shifted for us, it's taken us now a year and a half. One of the things we changed, if you remember, we used to call Oath, and we changed that to Verizon Media. And part of that is to have the brand trust value that Verizon brings in. We go to the advertisers today. Today, Verizon and the, the entire B2B team actually co-sells together, right? We go and sell not just at the enterprise level products, but also we sell the ad products together. If you think about the recent award, we were awarded Adweek's Reader's Choice Award for our DSP, SSP, uh, both mobile and video ad network. A lot of that is also Verizon's impact we have, other than not just consolidating our platform and innovating, we bought in. So I think it's beyond one plus one equals to three, the way we've done and we've integrated very deeply. It's one company, one value system. And the strategies are all aligned in many ways. So that's how I would put it out there. Right. Also, obviously, on the topic of wireless is 5G. Yes. And Verizon Corp continues to prioritize investments within the 5G network. So when you think about 5G and your business, it'd be helpful to get you know, some view on how you think it'd be most transformational for you and how it will help you to innovate. Sure. One baseline of what I would say, we built our 5G network from ground up as Verizon for industrial and commercial use cases. You know, if people are thinking about wireless phone bills, then we are thinking too small, right? I think it's way beyond that. Think about B2B and enterprise level use cases. We're talking about transformative technology. The reason we call it the fourth industrial revolution, because it's going to change how we live, how we work, how we play. And I think to your point, how will 5G be transformative? Even when you think about Verizon Media in a way, I'll talk through some use cases. One of the first industries that's going to get disrupted is going to be media which will benefit. And it's something consumers are going to see that very much more easily and feel it. The advantage we have and coming actually ties back to your previous question as well, is why does Verizon, Verizon Media make sense is because we are not just in the front row seat, we are part of the ecosystem where we are part of the technology stack when you think about 5G. So one of the examples, we actually did a beta of the Super Bowl in February in Miami, which feels like ages ago, where we did for the fans of the stadium who had 5G phones, we enabled them to watch the game in 5G mode and also created AR overlays on them. So they're able to see live stats, replays, and other content all in stadium. Remember, one of the things when you're in stadium, you're watching the game, naked eyes, you're watching it. You can't have latency with your device at that point. Very, very important aspect of what 5G brings in terms of one of the biggest currencies. So as you think about that as a use case, that was huge. It's almost giving you a personalized jumbotron in your device while you're watching the game. We also enabled, within the NFL app, we enabled multi-camera. So you could see different angles. You may want to follow the quarterback. You may want to follow the running back. So something we have already done as a pilot, and you will see more of this coming in. Now, as you think about the future of advertising, again, tying that to 5G, the scale and the potential is massive. The acceleration of some of the emerging media formats, such as digital out of home, connected TV, 
will benefit tremendously from the power and, and the low latency of 5G. We've signed more recently partnerships with Cooler Screens, Shark Experience, to mainly capitalize on the digital art of home. And if you see what's happened in the last few months, we almost have doubled our CTV spend year over year. The share of CTV spend as a company and total SSP has also more than doubled a year over year. So that's huge. And as you know, we also expanded our reach in becoming Microsoft's primary supply-side platform, replacing AT&T and Xander. So a lot of this integration is feeding in. The biggest, I would call, use case what will go from niche to more mainstream is going to be AR. I mean, AR today, if you say, is probably 0.0001% of total impression count or interaction is AR. In the 5G world, suddenly you take ad, the content world or experiential world, a lot of that is going to be around AR. And that's why we launched our immersive platform as well. I was actually wondering if you could give a little bit more detail on this product where you're integrating, you know, as you said, some of these mixed reality technologies into the ad experience. And what sort of revenue opportunity do you think this is for you? Like how significant sure. can this sort of new ad format be for the company? Yeah. So the Verizon Media Immersive is you know, not only significant for us, but also the media industry. A part of it, before we even launched, we had created a consortium of a lot of media companies, you know, Reuters and many others were part of it for the content creation side. And we had done many pilots with a lot of the advertisers, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit. So take an example. I think from a market perspective, what I've seen, AR is forecasted. I think ABI had a forecast on that saying market potential of about $102 billion or so by 2023, 2024. If you think about XR, part of this mixed reality and all of that is already becoming mainstream. So or um, in an interesting stat that I saw, 83 million Americans interacted with some form of XR at least once a month over the past year. Now, this is without having 5G at scale and all of that. So think about, we've already done the zero to one in many ways. I think 5G helps scale that. And what the pandemic has done, and coming back to how COVID is impacting, is driving XR adoption even more mainstream. So the hunger for unique experiences with everyone being at home, use of streaming and mobile video products has risen, as we all know, across all categories. Demand for differentiated content. Again, this comes back to creating that experiential content in many ways. And then also changing in brand strategy. Many, many brands are adopting new strategies to better connect with consumers in a socially distanced world. So the brands are using AR and XR in many of those. I think you asked about revenue. I wouldn't say what percent it will drive, but I will tell you the engagement level. Think about click-through rates and the open rates, which is multiples of existing native display video ad interaction. We've seen that in our early tests. So if you price that in, in terms of click-through or conversion, add a multiplier effect to it, I think it's a massive output that you'll see. I think the key, though, is to build the platform. That's the reason we launched Verizon Media Immersive, which helps editors create content. When you think about news and finance and entertainment, they can go create content seamlessly. You can pretty much create a daily news article that can have a AR-like experience, or you can create an evergreen news article that can last for a year or more, can have an AR aspect. The same for advertisers and creative directors, right? Creating ad units. Um, and that's what this is focused on, bringing that at scale. And we'll bring in more partners. This is almost built like a B2B tool as well, so that I want, if you ask me a mission, I want every editor in the world and every ad creative person to be able to use this and publish this. So that's the potential of it. And I think as 5G scales, 
as more users leverage this more and more, you're going to see the scaling as well. Are there any other new advertising formats that you like to highlight that, that you think will help you capture a greater share of the advertising market as you look forward? The one piece that I've talked about from an industry converging, and I don't know if I call it format, one of the big things that's already happening is commerce and ad market blending in more closely. I mean, if you think about it, this device of Samsung is putting an ad out there, their intention for most part is to you to convert and buy this device. But if you think about the ad market, there's so much friction today when you have an ad unit going into it. So one of the formats that we've been scaling and has been growing well, it's already proven within that world is DPA, which is dynamic product ads, which has been small as an industry, but that's been really growing at a multiplier effect at least last year or so. So I would see that's like bringing commerce and the ad market together, giving you that buying transactional experience more deeper. Other than that, I would call out, I think, the AR experience, which gives you that 360 3D view. That's going to be the biggest one. Those are the two that I can think that would continue to change how the landscape is going to look like in the next five to 10 years. Gotcha. You did reference the Microsoft win. Congratulations on that. I was hoping you could just provide a little bit more color as to why Microsoft made that move. What stood out about uh, Verizon Media Group's offering that encouraged them to make the switch? And if you think that this is the start of a trend and you expect to see other you know, business wins along these lines as well. Yeah, one of the good things with Microsoft, of course, being partners for many years because of our search relationship. So we have, we've been longstanding great partners with Microsoft and recently that consolidated in supply into SSP. So because one of the big reasons is for greater monetization, our monetization on SSP has been much better than what they were experiencing and also improving the ease of access for our advertisers. So this was a big validation. Even if you have good partnership in the end, Microsoft wanted to make sure you have the right product. So the SSP's ability to successfully monetize for partners, that stood out quite a bit. And for buyers, in a way, this switch also makes it easier to buy and plan and manage inventory because it's in our one platform, right? It allows Yahoo, AOL, Microsoft inventory to package together in a single deal ID, which buyers wanted and wasn't being able to do before. So this is a benefit in terms of the customers in a way, how it gives a full stack. You know, we're almost fully migrated in terms of sending over here. So a lot of those factors went into it. But I would say the other piece of the equation is around also how now we have a full stack, right? We've brought in DSP. I think you you asked about formats, the couple of things that mm-hmm. I didn't talk about where we've gone deeper. You think about digital out of home and connected TV, which you can put AR and a lot of these layer in top of that. A lot of that comes from how our DSP is now expanded, right? We launched our expanded DSP, bringing programmatic premium. And now it's also full native marketplace inventory and formats, targeting, measurement together in one platform. And that all is now connected into uh, the SSP. It's one stack. And what it does create is a new world of an omni-channel world, bringing a lot of different types of supply and demand to provide simplicity, flexibility and transparency for buying media, of course, from an advertiser standpoint, and also managing campaigns and maximizing performance. So I think in many ways, if you summarize it, existing relationship helped to the performance was way better and platform was, I don't know how many more, much, much better than what they were on right now. I also wanted to touch on addressable TV. 
Could you give us a, a high-level view of Verizon's approach to adjustable TV advertising? And you partnered with Ampersand to increase your adjustable advertising footprint sure. as a recent move in that area. So a little bit more on the strategy there. Yeah, addressable is one of the key ways, as we all know, that TV is bought and sold. In line with our overall approach to drive growth for advertisers and publishers in a true omni-channel fashion that I was just saying, we are the first DSP to bring in also household addressable TV into omni-channel planning. And that's massive planning, buying, and also attribution platform that already includes CTV, connected TV, and other forms of more traditional digital video advertising. Our Amberson deal, what it does, it solidifies in many ways our position where they exclusively represent Fios inventory, which is Verizon, and trade programmatically through our DSP as their primary programmatic platform. So if you think about Fios and uh, HHA and Amberson, Verizon Media will be the sole programmatic trading platform for Verizon Fios household addressable and inventory. And Amberson also selected our DSP as a primary buying platform for CTV and OTV inventory. So for VMG, that's one of the reasons it doubled our CTV spend year on year because of a lot of these things, how we are focused on innovation and where the market is going. And the share of CTV spend on our total SSP is also, as I mentioned earlier, more than doubled year on year. So let's move on to another big topic, sports, which you didn't reference already. Yeah. But um, you know, it's a huge focus for us at Lion Tree. Um, it has been for some time. It touches so many aspects of media and entertainment and, of course, touches your business as well. After you know, a long pause since uh, March, the you know, sports has slowly been trying to return with limited success. I mean, recently with Major League Baseball having to take a step back because of some health concerns. There's not that much visibility on when sports finally returns in earnest, but when it does, in what form do you expect it to reemerge? And as a quick related aside, REA, um, and feel free to jump in REA, but at a recent internal meeting, expressed his views about the sports experience and how that's going to be permanently altered going forward and how sports and technology will converge in a material way, creating more opportunities and business models. And mm-hmm. you know, many young fans prefer to engage with highlights or web analysis or podcasts or social media rather than the live game. So digital media and unique IP is actually well situated for that. Yeah. So what's your view on that sort of new sports experience and evolution? It's a great question. Now, I mean, I'm a big sports fan and I know everybody's been waiting for sports to kick off in full swing. I'll set a little bit of a market context for everyone. What was happening even before the pandemic started, if you think about the younger audience, take the Gen Z and younger millennials, to your point, Leslie, they were already consuming sports in bite size and they didn't want to watch the entire live stream of a sport. They didn't focus on the linear TV experience in many ways. And they wanted to be interactive. We think about fantasy sports and even betting, wherever it's legalized, a lot of those activities were generated actually by much more younger audience. So we were already seeing that in our existing relationships with NFL, NBA, and what we're doing as sports. You know, Yahoo Sports today has about 60 million monthly active users, one of the largest and best sporting product out there. Now, what the pandemic has done is in a way has brought in other segments of consumers 
to almost behave the similar way. It's accelerated that behavior. So the live sports event, as we know, it will be completely altered. It's going to change. I think Arya is right in many ways about how the shift is going to be permanent in many ways, and it has become a forcing function for companies to innovate. So I think fans are going to be very wary of any type of in-person experience for a long time. Even after you have vaccine, nobody even still knows the efficacy of it and, and how that progresses. You're not going to have the trust factor to be in a stadium with many people that you don't know. So the question then becomes, how do you deliver the in-stadium experience to your homes? Can you bring stadium to your home? And how do you create that intimacy that you can only get during an in-person event? So we are certainly thinking, I think sporting changes that way in many ways. Yeah, you will still have stadium experience, but suddenly you're not talking about 60,000 fans that show up at a stadium or now in a much lesser form, but you're talking about millions of fans who never had access to that experience will start getting it. Ties back to your question on AR. I think when you combine 5G coupled to the AR and VR, call it mixed reality experience, when you think about the opportunities that those capabilities will give, you literally look through it in a different lens. For example, the Super Bowl example I just gave you about how we had put in AR, how we leverage our riot asset, part of the Verizon 5G network, and then work with the NFL to do that. So that experience is going to definitely, definitely amplify in the new world. And there are many more things we are working on. I can't pre-announce it yet, but you'll definitely see in the next few months, things that we're doing around this. The other piece, I would say, the evolution of the interactive sporting, which is more around betting and transactional side of it. We see sports today no longer as just a content play. We think, yeah, we get you inspired about your team, about your content coming to the top of the funnel, but we want to be with you on the journey, whether you want to buy tickets, you want to buy the jersey, or you want to create a fantasy league with your friends, or go and bet on a team where it's legally allowed. Right. So that's the experience. And that, again, combined that with 5G and the leagues, the digital world is transforming that again at a much more accelerated pace. So those are some of the big shifts I see. And I think it's fairly certain the scale on this is going to be much bigger than what people were expecting before. Right. And delving a little bit more into specifics on some of your partnerships, 2019, you launched the two year innovation partnership with the NFL, Mm -hmm. also expanded Yahoo streaming rights as well with the NFL. So could you talk a little bit about, I guess, the successes of these partnerships and, you know, some of the current challenges and how you see those partnerships evolving as a result? Sure. You know, talk about NFL. This is a moment of real opportunity when it comes to working with our partners to mold the future of sports and entertainment. They want the same thing. So we're using our technology to create the best fan experience, both in person and virtually, which is crucial as we navigate the new world. And some of it will be permanent in some way. And the innovation partnership, which we have with the NFL, is a huge part of that. So through the partnership, the first NFL-themed 5G mobile games were developed. This, again, was launched in the Super Bowl earlier this year. And the other 5G experience I mentioned that we did on Super Bowl. And then the technology has also created for us uh, the culture of on-the-go sports fans, right? To think about that I mentioned about bite-sides consuming consumers, the younger consumers, the sports has consistently adapted to capture, and, and they all want to capture these kind of fans, creating experiences which is more for fandom, diversifying revenue, the audience growth and engagement. So last season, millions of new and next-gen fans relied actually on Yahoo Sports, and which, of course, NFL partners deeply with for a great experience on mobile in terms of football. 
And we also announced with NFL that Yahoo Fantasy Sports, which we were never showing live games there, that's a new add-on in terms of what we're doing with them. So I think the relationships we have with the league are critical because you have content. They want to engage consumers, fans. They want to expand that relationship. What we are bringing in that side of the digital world that can enable them to go through that journey. If I may ask, what is your best guess on how the NFL season looks when it returns? Meaning, you know, does it come back as planned with fans, no fans? And what does your crystal ball say oh, at this point? You know, it's a tough one. I wish I could guess. I think the good thing for NFL is it's in many ways the last big sporting event for us in the U.S. that starts later than most of the other things. So they're learning definitely from other leagues. And you think about baseball and, of course, basketball and all of these starting. So they're learning from it. So they've got a good playbook from what I've discussed with them. So far, nothing has changed in terms of season. You know, so far, you know, they're keeping at least the main uh, kickoff game and all of that. I think those are all planned as we speak. Would fans come in? You know, I would put this on fans, right? I think it's going to be harder. I'll use actually our work from home office environment. A lot of companies recently have opened up the offices and said some of them have started doing trial runs to have people come back. Most people are not going back because they still don't have the trust. So a lot of this is going to be on fans. Oh, are the stadium safe enough? Is the NFL going to do all the right things to keep? But so it's going to be hard for me. I mean, as a fan, I think it'll take time if I were to guess. But that being said, that's why I like the digital play that we are doing. For me, is you know, we've got Yahoo Sports and we're going to have live games there. And in many ways, let the fans experience that and engage and stay safe. I know the NFL at least is definitely thinking to bring live audience in or audience in stadium and they're planning for that. Uh, I think a lot of this is going to come to what consumers end up doing. So my last question on sports media rights, per se, is, I mean, some of these large you know, rights are coming up for renewal. Would you expect the, the big tech companies now to compete more aggressively for these rights than, than they have before? And, and if you do, you know, who do you think would be the front runner for that? Everybody has a different strategy. So you think about Amazon, I don't know if Twitter, I think they, they all have certain rights. I mean, they've all gotten one game, either Thursday night live uh, game or at least one game a week in a way. And they're all engaging different ways. Amazon's goal is different in terms of what they're trying to do. Will they all play a role in it? I think a lot of media companies are going to try and solve different use cases to keep that engagement in there and keep their attraction saying, we want to make sure a consumer who's in our prime is staying there and, and leveraging other products, we may need to put it in there. I don't know if it'll be as aggressive from my view, given you need, like for us, the reason it makes a lot of sense is you have a product where sports fans come and engage with the 60 million of them in the US come and engage with them and millions watch the NFL live. There's a direct correlation in terms of ROI, monetization that you're doing on ads or betting or call it on the commerce side. Not many of them have that. So I'm more 50-50 on that. I think some of it will be a little bit of a vanity saying, okay, let's get some games so it creates more ecosystem, but that won't be the anchor, right? Anchor is when the negotiations and multi-angle, call it bidding in a way, and that happens. This is more, I think there will be set use cases that will go after my view, what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing. For us, we are approaching a holistic use case. So less of a competition from that angle. Now, you've talked about sports betting a couple of times. Just wanted to move on to that. There's a lot of excitement you know, about sports betting. And you look at DraftKings stock you know, up over 
200% year to date. Mm-hmm. And um, at this stage, municipalities are also under more pressure to find additional revenue sources, which would speed up the approvals process. So how are you thinking about this opportunity, how large that could be for your business, how quickly it could unfold? And as part of that, you know, if you could elaborate on your partnership with um, MGM. Sure. It's a great question. And it's one of our biggest bets, pun intended, in the right way (laughs) that we are focused on when you think about sports and how it connects broadly into the pillars that I mentioned, right? The trusted content connections and commerce. This is squarely fitting into our new business model innovation that we're doing. So we are committing to this in a big way. And when you think about the market opportunity, let me start with the market opportunity. And the caveat I would say on market opportunity, it's like, you know, I used to be in the sponsored search advertising world back at Overture days, and we used to build these models on market. And any guess on the market was wrong because at some point in, in whoever built models in 2000 and 2001 said, okay, the search market is going to be 20 billion in the next 10 years. And here you are, whatever, 20 years, you're 100 billion. So I would take the same approach on sports betting in a way. Yes, there are models that we've seen and there's prediction that I've seen, which is between seven to $8 billion business within the next five years. My view, to your point, municipalities and a lot of states, as you think about legalizing the betting and also bringing more stream of revenue in a way, and for us driving consumer engagement, that's going to only scale. So today, as an example, we are in four states, New Jersey, West Virginia, Colorado, and Indiana. And then you can think about at least 20 more states uh, in a way on a great path right now, an accelerated path, if you will, scaling that up. You want a baseline model of that market is massive. Sports, of course, got impacted, so it slowed down a little bit, but it's a, it's a slight bump you know, when you think about five years out. So that's the first point that I would take away. The second piece around MGM, one of the things in betting, you need two things, right? One is you need a massive top of the funnel that can go through the journey. And second, you need a betting platform that follows the compliance, the state allows you to do it and all of that. So when you think about MGM, BetMGM and us coming together, we bring in that massive sports funnel, the 60 million consumers, monthly active users who are passionate about it. And of that, we already have fantasy sports users who are the closest in terms of intention who want to do betting. That journey is already clear. We didn't want to go build the entire betting platform. We wanted to partner with somebody like MGM, which is legally in many states already and is known for that. And we trust like the, the way the robustness of their platform mattered a lot for us. So that's the partnership that we brought together. So we are designated as an official digital media sports partner of MGM Resorts. And we'll collaborate, again, array of content experiences, exclusive live events, or I think about 20 high-profile major sporting and promotional marketing efforts that we're going to do together. MGM will also distribute Yahoo Sports content across their property. So we're a lot of offline to online. And the last piece is the Yahoo Sports book, which is our betting product, is powered by BetMGM, which allows fans in legalized states to view betting odds across a variety of sports. And users of legal age right now, as I said, New Jersey and, and a few other states can click through the odds to place a bet on BetMGM. So... That's a space super early, but I will tell you, you need that massive funnel. That's why when you think about competition and you were talking about valuation earlier in terms of what's happening to DraftKings, but one of the challenges for a lot of that space is how do you get the consumers? How do you get the top of the funnel? And that's why the partnership here is massive. 
I wanted to also make sure we had time to talk about some of the other emerging areas for Verizon Media, that being commerce and live and sure. you know, subscriptions is obviously a key part as well. On the commerce side, you recently announced a partnership with Walmart that allows grocery shopping and Yahoo Mail. Can you talk a little bit more about this announcement and are there any other partnerships that you would also highlight as well. And again, thinking about commerce as another business opportunity for you, how you see that developing and how large that could become. People have asked me many times, Yahoo Mail and commerce, tell me the relationship, do the context setting. One of the things, and when I say this, you'll relate to this, you know, everybody relates to it the minute I give it this way. I said, look, last 10 years, if you think about user behavior with email, including me, I've used Yahoo Mail as my junk mailbox, right? It's my spam box. All my receipts, my newsletters, my discount coupons, whatever it is as a consumer, it's on my Yahoo Mail. And I came in two years back from Alibaba. I was in the largest commerce company in the world, e-commerce company and building platforms in India, Southeast Asia. And coming in, I said, look, it's amazing. Users have told you their interest group in terms of what they like, their intent about what the shopping is. So we see today with the user's consent, a third of U.S. commerce behavior transaction that happens is happening through our ecosystem. In many ways, people are either sending their receipts or all of that. One of the biggest things that we saw, many, many users, millions of users leveraging it for groceries, either getting discount coupons and all of that. Actually, a majority of users were also Walmart users. So my vision with the inbox product, we call it its inbox commerce. It's mail inbox commerce. And the idea there, what we've done with Walmart, just so you know, if people haven't used it, if you have iOS, it's also launched on Android and desktop. You literally have a grocery tab. The main partner that's integrated there is Walmart. You can literally add to your shopping cart, search, do everything that you do on a traditional grocery place, whatever you want to add a pound of uh, tomatoes to whatever you want to buy. When you check out, it goes to Walmart site to complete the transaction. That's also going to come inside in the next phase. But that's the idea of it is really bringing the zero click for consumers intent and taking that content to commerce journey. So to your point on what else are we thinking, I would expect more of these kind of partnerships where brands are going to be more deeply integrated. Affiliate commerce will do well, but that's our phase one. This is not affiliate commerce. This is much more deeply integrated in terms of Walmart. So the expectation would be there will be many more when you think about brands that we're bringing in, retailers we are bringing in. And the idea being it's a true marketplace. We are not competing like Amazon. This again comes back to how do you differentiate? We are not going to go compete on pricing or any of that. We want to give the opportunity for consumers to access the places they shop from and remove that friction point from a retailer or a brand perspective and integrate that deeply. So that's the path we are on. The early results have been great already what we've seen. And as we remove more friction, that's going to continue to scale. Live events has also recently been more of a focus for Verizon. Your pay it forward live, live stream during COVID, the Berkshire Hathaway Mm -hmm. stream as well. Could you talk a little bit more about this strategy and what your monetization plans are? So the live events, it's interesting. We launched some of that within a week's time frame. The way at which when you think about paid forward live, what we did with Berkshire had to, of course, be planned a little bit more deeper in terms of uh, building that platform out. So our view, when you think about live event, that's going to be the new world, the permanent behavior shift that's happening, where people are going to continue to consume content at home. You're going to start seeing more and more live events uh, happening and 
consumer base growing there. So that's clear from a strategy standpoint. There are things that we are doing. As I said, we will announce a few things in terms of new platforms that's coming in. You've seen our acquisition around Blue Jeans. If you think about live events, there are three big buckets, right? You have sports, you have concerts and music, broadly speaking, and then you have conferences. Those are all the big, big revenue drivers. You know, they're all multi-multi-billion dollar categories, each of them. And Blue Jeans also fits in squarely in there when you think about conferences and events as being able to host a big live event and monetize. So the monetization model, three different models that we are at least building in. I'm not talking about ads. I think you'll continue to have the ad model. This will be on top of it. From a consumer standpoint, there will be a premium setup model where they want to have special access before an event or you know, if you're watching a concert or any of that, giving you that premium access. So thinking about almost the freemium gaming world, you have that you're leveling up or you're buying uh, one extra layer of something. That's one. Two, commerce is going to be much more deeply integrated. Think about sporting event or any of these concert things. One of the things is yeah, you order food, you order merchandise. A lot of those things are going to be part of that. So you will see commerce as being a big uh, revenue driver. And third one is more on B2B, which is more when you think about one of the big platforms we have is Verizon Media Platform, which is our streaming platform. We do live streaming for NFL, Disney+, Hulu, Fox. A lot of that is part of our ad, the entire Verizon Media Platform. It's part of that ecosystem. That's one that's we've been doing that for a while. When live events happened, it scaled a lot more. So B2B side, that will be a, already a traditional pricing model there in terms of helping with streaming. But also when you think about blue jeans and how we integrate that, you'll have more of a, for an event, you know, people are buying as a license saying, I want to host an event, how we do that. So those are the three models that I would call out when you think about live events. It's a little bit of a closing question. You have a lot of new growth initiatives within Verizon Media. So if you had to pick one, maybe I'll give you two, that you're most excited about or you think could really move the dial for the company, what would you pick? And then just as a quick follow-up, do you feel like you have all the assets that you need in order to achieve your vision? Sure. First of all, I think on the goal side where we are going, I mentioned this before, business model-wise, we want to be across ads, commerce, and subscriptions. I think that envelope doesn't change in the new world, if anything, that accelerates. The two that I would pick, one is really doubling down the strength that we build on our ad platforms. Given we've integrated, we have a unified kind of SSP, DSP, one platform, bringing that omni-channel, a lot of the new formats that we're doing, I would definitely say, that world is changing drastically and we are investing and we're growing that. The second one I would put it is commerce. The journey of advertisers to commerce bringing together and then the consumer flow of moving from getting inspired on a content to going and closing the loop and transacting. That world is here today. If anything, that's accelerated. I would call out those two as the massive needle movers and something we've been focused on. And in terms of gaps, do we have all the assets? I think on ads, we feel we are there in many places, but other areas we're exploring right now. We are saying who can accelerate us in many ways. Live events and all of that. Blue Jeans was a great example. We went and acquired to bring in that capability. So we will constantly look for in these new growth areas, you know, either build for us. A lot of this is tied to time to market. 
So anything that helps accelerate in those some of the new areas, we'll continue to look into it. Thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your insights with all of us. We covered a lot of ground. Look forward to following uh, the progress of the company and hope to see you person sometime soon. Thank Thanks you so again. much, Leslie. Thank, really thank you, Guru. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you, guys. It's really good. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our show today. If you want to check out any prior episodes, find us and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Feel free to leave a review as well as it helps people find the show. You can also follow us on social media at KindredCast for behind the scenes photos and info. Listen to KindredCast on SiriusXM every Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern on Business Radio Channel 132 or stream shows on demand in the SiriusXM app. Thank you.